Fundraising everywhere. 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 You need to add me in there. Hey everyone, it's Simon Scriver here, one of the co-founders of Fundraising Everywhere. Welcome to another podcast, and this is a special episode of our Fundraising Everywhere podcast. We decided for a few episodes uh, to focus on the musings, the intelligent thoughts, the ramblings, and the insights from Mr. Ken Burnett. Uh, if you don't know Mr. Ken Burnett, he's a bit of a, a legend in fundraising. Uh, he presented these 10 keys to finding, recruiting, and retaining individual donors. He presented these originally at one of our past individual giving uh, virtual summits. Um, and a side note, our individual giving virtual summit is coming up, uh, so you can book your tickets now at fundraisingeverywhere.com. But Ken presented these 10 keys around individual donors uh, and people loved it and I loved it. Um, and I've learned so much from Ken over the years. If you don't know Ken Burnett, you really should. He's got a number of good or great, I should say, books on fundraising out there. Uh, he's an author, lecturer and consultant on fundraising, marketing and communications. He served on the board of ActionAid. Uh, he's one of the co-founders of Sophie, the showcase of fundraising, innovation and inspiration. Do you know Sophie? We go on about Sophie loads because we love it. Uh, he's also been one of the judges in our charity virtual event awards, um, which are also open up for nominations now. So do check that out. I mean, really, Ken has been ingrained in our fundraising lives um, for as long as I can remember. And so we want to hand over the microphone to Ken today. Um, and for the next few podcasts, or for a series of podcast episodes, uh, we're going to listen to Ken's syrupy, silky, and lovely accented voice uh, telling us the 10 keys to finding, recruiting, and retaining individual donors. Over to you, Ken. The first session from... 10 Keys to Finding, Recruiting, and Retaining Individual Donors. This is about why and how individual giving works. And I am planning to share two case histories 40 years apart. So the first of these is the ActionAid story. And I have to go back to the dawning of time to 1977 and my first week of work for a charity then known as Action in Distress. At that time, Action in Distress, which became later Action Aid, was a very small charity. It had a chain of 60 temporary charity shops uh, that it didn't own, it borrowed, uh, and then it had local groups, special events, one-off appeals, catalog sales, a whole variety of different fundraising methods. And we also had something called a computer, which we were told was going to become quite big and important for organizations like ours. Um, but the main activity that I latched onto in my first week at work was the recruiting of new regular giving donors off the page. We used press advertising with coupons to recruit new donors. And I 
looked at that and I thought, this is the one area that has the most potential for ActionAid. And we used, they look very dated now, these black and white, rather stark. They look like they've been produced by two little old ladies working in a leaky garret, no cost involved, um, uh, just the, the message. Um, a direct proposition, the price in the headline, uh, individual eye contact with four case histories, a short description, and a clear and easy to use coupon in which we captured the details of the, of the new donor. And we used the religious press. We were actually under an injunction to do so at that time um, because that was thought to be the, the only media that really we could afford and justify to use. But in my first week at work, I discovered I had a target to find 5,000 new donors. Uh, the actual cost of recruiting a single individual donor at that time for Action in Distress was £24. And I had what I thought sounded like a large amount of money as a budget. I had a total budget, including testing, of £60,000. But if you do the math, you fairly quickly learn that I was doomed to inevitable failure. And so I had to stop and think, because uh, failure is never uh, guaranteed or even necessary in fundraising, and I had to try and work out a different way to reach this objective. And so ActionAid took a very calculated risk, and we invested about 10% of the total budget to acquire two half-page black and white, uh, sorry, quarter-page black and white advertisements in the leading British Sunday supplements, The Observer and The Sunday Times, which between them delivered about two and a half million readers every week. So these small ads were exceptionally high risk. If they had not worked, we would have been in serious trouble. But actually, this was the first step in ActionAid coming from nowhere to be a top 20 charity, because the first time we ran those ads, the cost per donor fell from £24 to less than £2. And that was a key. But the second key ingredient of this uh, experience was that unlike most charities, ActionAid didn't take all of the money that it had raised and apply it to the many needs that it had in, uh, in the field with its beneficiaries. Instead, it reinvested uh, quite a substantial part of that success in further promotion. Uh, so the difference that that made was that ActionAid suddenly became uh, known as the first direct marketed charity in the UK. And it was all because of this policy of reinvestment and rigorous testing and monitoring. And to keep control of that, we didn't have computers in those days, or at least we didn't have them on our desktops. Um, we had a thing called the guard book, which was simply a place where we recorded all of the testing and monitoring, the results, the data that we were gathering, which showed us what worked and what didn't. And we tended to do split, A-B split test uh, advertisements in the quality national press. And we were testing media, position, size, day of the week, headlines, images, 
the stories we used, and the coupon. You can only test one thing at a time, which is why you have a, an A-B split using um, printing a different advertisement in half of the, the run of the newspaper. And the story of this is told in detail on Sophie, of course. Um, but what we were looking at was really creative opportunism, rigorous testing, detailed analysis, and record keeping. I think in innovation matched with integrity, very, very important, and this concept of bold reinvestment. That was how ActionAid grew. And it enabled ActionAid to develop a kind of advertising that was both effective and legal, decent, honest, and truthful. The integrity of what we were saying and what we were offering was very important to ActionAid. Uh, now, after running advertisements as much as we could in the national press, we found that the responses fell off if the ads were too close together, and this began to cause us problems. So we had to innovate, and we came up with a... Um, a new way of using an old format, the loose insert, and ActionAid developed a format of inserts with a built-in reply envelope, which transformed the way these um, loose inserts that appear in your regular publications could be used by charities. Soon every charity or lots of charities were using the same format, but ActionAid had a fairly clear field to itself, and in fact was producing tens of millions of these inserts every year. And this enabled us to require 10, 15,000 regular donors in a year rather than the 5,000 target that I had initially been set. And that brought ActionAid to its prominence. The story of that is also told on Sophie. So how does fundraising investment work. And investment is obviously a word that instills terror in the heart of most charity trustees, which is extraordinary because most businesses will not thrive unless they are given proper and adequate investment. And it is this investment that underpins the best asset that a charity can have. What one is looking to do here is recruitment finding the donors, development, growing the relationship, and retention, which means that you want to keep the donors for as long as possible so that they become friends for life and ultimately, hopefully, will, in the fullness of time, leave you a legacy. So let's say a charity takes £250,000 from its reserves. Now, most charities are required to keep some funds in reserve, normally at least three months operating balance. And so that sounds like a lot of money. I'm going to show you in the next case history, a charity who invested a lot less than that, but still were incredibly successful. But it's not an unreasonable sum of money for a, a major charity to think of investing. And you can keep investments in stocks and shares, or you can invest in fundraising. Uh, most charities will invest in the stocks and shares option, which produces um, a fairly small annual return, but you get a good lunch from your investment managers each year. Uh, and of course, going forward, those returns are likely to be a lot lower than they have been in the past, but you might expect, say, 4 to 8% return on your stocks and shares investment. Well, fundraising works somewhat differently. And the first key thing to realize is that when you invest in the fundraising donor development option, 
the first thing that happens is that money leaves your bank account. Not as much as you had planned for, because some money will come in before you have actually spent the total of your investment. But you do have to say goodbye to some money in the early stages, and it might take you, say, 18 months to two years or even more to reach a break-even point. And then after that break-even point is achieved, the way fundraising investment works is that the growth then becomes more and more. So to look at that in a little bit more detail, if you look below the line at this graph, you see that sometimes we have to spend money to encourage a person to make their first donation. Now, this is true of any commercial business. To acquire customers in the first instance, you will have to invest. But then we raise money as long as they stay as supporters, value and return on investment increases over time. How well we treat people is the most important factor in how long they stay. It's taken the charity sector a long, long time to realize this, but at last that has become uh, clear and the supported experience has moved way up the agenda for charities. But the real value from a, a, an active donor file comes over time, from legacies, the more donors that you have, the stronger legacy income will be. And that's where the real returns happen. So stocks and bonds will never perform at anything like this rate. If you're lucky, you'll get 7 to 8%, whereas 30 plus percent from investment in fundraising is not uh, normal. It's often exceeded. Um, but uh, if you do fundraising properly, it's a very safe investment for a charity to make. So this is the story of the National Youth Orchestra, which is uh, the National Youth Orchestra of Great Britain is an extraordinarily talented group of, an, of individuals between the ages of 14 and 18, a full orchestra of 164 members, and they play world-class quality. They are arguably the best orchestra of young people in the world. And they've been around for about 70 years, but only recently started to acquire individual donors. Nicolette Shaw, is the, their fundraising director, explains that in 2017, when we started to recruit individual supporters, the total of our donors wouldn't even have filled the orchestra. It was less than 164. Uh, now, just over two years later, our donors would more than fill the Royal Albert Hall. More than 5,000 individual donors have recruit, been recruited in that time. But they started with a plan, which was to invest in a viable file. The target was to build 10,000 active current donors built over 10 years because they didn't have a huge amount of money to put in right at the very beginning. But also they did realize that there is a kind of economies of scale. There's a, a kind of um, uh, a point at which you reach where... Um, you get a better return on investment because you have economies because of the volume of your supporters. So it's somewhere around five to 10,000 supporters and then a file becomes um, viable. And the larger the file becomes, the less it takes per donor to manage that file. But you have to commit yourself to provide news, feedback, events, and you are able to make, say, three or 
more appeals per year, and that's how you will start to recover um, your investment. And legacy income, they thought at the very beginning, would start after five years and then slowly grow. In fact, there are signs that legacy income has already started for National Youth Orchestra after just two years. But there are also other benefits that they anticipated, finding major donors and ambassadors and other things. So they expected, because of their relatively small investments at the beginning, that it would take five years to break even. But then after that, uh, net annual income would grow quite agreeably year, year on year. But actually, the National Youth Orchestra did much better than that. And this, you can be seen from the first year results. So apart from the ratio of single gift donors to regular donors, which is about 80 to 20 in most organizations, uh, they performed better than, than expected on every indicator from single gifts, regular gifts, net cost per donor. And actually that initial investment in the first year was much less than, than they expected. And this allowed them to believe that they would break even by the end of year two, in fact, they broke even long, uh, quite a while before the end of year two. And so the equation for the National Youth Orchestra looks much different, very, very much better, extremely successful uh, donor acquisition program. And they can now predict with some reliability that their surplus uh, over the first eight years of this program will come close to two million pounds. So why would you use direct mail and inserts? It's because they work well when done properly and they are very cost effective for acquisition. Direct mail offers the opportunity, the space to tell a great story and to give donors a good experience because they appreciate the difference between junk mail and a letter from a friend. Something that most charities who use direct mail seem to have taken a long time to realize. There is an enormous difference and you really need to work at this. We want to send letters to our friends. We do not want to be in the junk mail business. Many older people like receiving a nice, interesting letter. They respond well to good direct mail. And there are other advantages in, in the UK, particularly through uh, the legitimate interest clause. Um, you, you are entitled to use direct mail to contact your supporters. And you can deliver a great donor experience. So there's a lot of good reasons. But you have to realize that... The slogan, because of you, which is aimed at the donors, actually the success in, in fundraising is because of them. These are the backroom team that keep donors involved. They provide the donor care and donor service that makes supporting the National Youth Orchestra such a wonderful, joyful experience for donors. So I hope you can now see why individual giving is the best bit of fundraising from those two contrasting case histories. Coming next is session two, which is all about what you need, really need to know. And that's why the treasure chest is there. What all fundraisers need to know about individual giving is focusing on our rich history and the fundamentals of fundraising and the treasures that you can find if you study and get, become familiar with the colorful and illustrious past of our fundraising. So I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you.
the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a glimpse into one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yep, just head to the Fundraising Everywhere website and use the code FEPODCAST at the checkout to get 50% off any of our sessions. There once was conference held online that helped me reach some goals of mine. The crack was great, the speakers best, oh, fundraising everywhere go. Ha! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself, we'll learn so much and grow. They've been around for many years, we've learned and laughed and shed some tears. A community I'm proud to know, oh, fundraising everywhere go. Ha! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself, we'll learn so much and grow. Ha! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself, we'll learn so much and grow.